Welcome to Book Bistro, where book enthusiasts come to chat about the books they love in a warm and supportive environment. episode is airing on Tuesday, April 26th, 2022. Hello everyone, it's Shannon back with you to, of course, share an author interview and to talk about new releases. This week we are hearing an interview that I did with author Jody Hadlock and we're talking about her novel, The Lives of Diamond Bessie. This is a historical novel with paranormal elements, and it is based on true events. Jody was a delight to speak with, and I'm hoping that you enjoy this interview as much as I did. So we'll get started, and then I will be back to talk with you about new books once you hear the interview with Jody. You can find us on Twitter and on Facebook by searching Book Bistro Podcast. You can always post just on the Book Bistro timeline. Some of you have done that. I'm always so happy to see when you've published posts there. You can join our Facebook listener group where you can chat with us as well as with other podcast listeners. You can keep an eye on some of what we're reading. We usually update you each Wednesday with a look at our current reads. If you'd like to get a hold of us and social media is not really your thing, you can email us. That address is thebookbistropodcast at gmail.com. Hello, everyone, and welcome to another edition of the Book Bistro Podcast. This is Shannon, and today I am chatting with author Jody Hadlock about her upcoming novel, The Lives of Diamond Bessie. We are recording a bit ahead of publication, but this is due out on April 5th here in the U.S. Jody, thank you so much for joining me today. Thank you so much for having me. I'm delighted to be here. Can we start out with an introduction to the lives of Diamond Bessie so that listeners will know a little bit about what to expect if they haven't like seen the blurb anywhere? Yes. Well, it is a historical novel. It is based on a true story, a true crime that happened in East Texas in 1877. Uh, but it's it crosses genres. So it's a historical fiction, but it's also mystery. But it's more of a why done it than a who done it. And it also has paranormal elements. So it's Ooh. got a lot going on in it, but it is based on a real person, a 19th century prostitute who is obviously known as Diamond Bessie. Um, it, it was a story that was uh, covered by papers across the country in, in the mid-1800s. And it's actually a story that's still well-remembered in East Texas today. There's The town does a, a, a play every year about Diamond Bessie, and there have been songs written about her and nonfiction books. But my book is the first novel. Okay, that's amazing. And you just um, – we're doing an episode – pretty soon here on Book Bistro about books like fiction based on true stories. Oh, okay. So you have just um, saved me. I was trying to think of like, okay, I need another another book. I'm looking for something historical. And this will it just fell into your lap. Right? Well, yes, yes. Because I was looking at the blurb for this and I was like, oh, I wonder if this is like based on 
you know, on something that actually happened. So I'm glad yes, to know and, that it is. And, and I, and I love, uh, novels that, you know, based on real people and true events. Uh, obviously I love historical fiction or I wouldn't yes. be writing it. So it's definitely, um, uh, one of my favorite things to read. I'd really like to see someone who's like, Oh, I really hate history, but I, I decided that I would write a historical novel. <laughs> I, I can't imagine what that would result in because to to write historical fiction, not only do you need to love, you know, well, history, but, I mean, you need to love research. Yeah. When you delve into a period that you did not grow up in, that, you you know, that happened a long time before you were born, it is an overwhelming amount of research. But I absolutely love it. I love the research as much as I love the writing. So what kind of research did you do for this particular book since, you know, we're talking about something that happened like, you know, 200 some years ago? Yeah, well, um, about, about 150. And so we have, we have a very long time ago. Uh, well, I actually have known about this story for a long time. It's actually uh, really a miracle that nobody else has come out with a novel about her before this because I actually learned about this story in the 90s when I was in my early to mid-20s. And uh, my husband and I were dating then. We went to Jefferson, Texas. It's in East Texas where part of the story is set. We went to the Historical Museum. And there was this full-page newspaper article about Diamond Bessie and um, the antagonist. And I, it was in a Dallas paper in the 1930s about this story that had happened 60 years earlier in the town three hours east of Dallas, this tiny town I'd never even heard of. And even though I grew up around, you know, around Dallas. And so I was immediately intrigued. And I was, at the time I was working as a television news anchor and, re, and reporter in Charleston, South Carolina. And I made a vow to myself that when I came back to Texas, I would look into it. And two years later, I got a job as the main anchor in San Antonio at one of the stations. And I immediately started my research. This is before newspapers.com which newspaper.com is a godsend. I had to do microfilm. So because it was based on a true story, I spent two years in my spare time getting every paper that I thought that would have had a story about the, about Diamond Bessie, going through microfilm page by page. And after two years, I came up with two like four inch binders of newspaper articles. And then, um, so I was so focused on that, I had neglected that, well, I really need to do a lot of research on what life was like for, you know, for women then and what life was like in general in, in the mid-1800s. So then I set aside my writing for a long time for several reasons. And then when I came back to it in 2014, I, um, that's when com was available. And then I was able to find a lot more and I really delved into the research of what life was like for women, especially in Bessie's situation at that time. So I found, then I found memoirs. I mean, I was reading all kinds of books, you know, about various aspects of the 19th century life, et cetera. And um, so it just was, it was a huge amount of research. Yes, it sounds like it would, it would almost have to be. Yes. Well, it's like you can't, um, this happened in 18, well, I have 1866 to 18, early 1880s. You know, there are things like, you know, I had to look at what was invented. 
I mean, I, right. I spent a lot of time just looking, making sure I didn't make a mistake and have her on. Well, this is a, a glaring example, but you know, obviously she wasn't going to use the telephone. It was invented no. in 1976. You know, it wasn't widely <laughs> available for a long time. So that's an obvious one. But literally on every page of my novel, there is something that needed to be researched, confirmed. You know, I, I really wanted it to be as accurate as possible, probably because I know that people reading it, if they know you, you can get called on the carpet so much <laughs> of you oh, know, I would imagine. putting out that, you know, well, that wasn't available then or, you know, that's wrong. So I really, really uh, paid attention to the even the, the tiniest detail. I love that. I think, you know, so many people just decide, oh, I'm going to write, you know, a historical novel and I'll just you know, research a little bit, like get a basic understanding and then it will be fine. And I think for the people who actually do this for a living, I think you learn pretty quickly that you have to, you know, do more than just sort of scratch the surface. Well, and that's exactly of, what, of that time period. Yeah. Well, and that's exactly what happened to me because I was so focused on the case and all those details. And then I was like, well, wait, I, I really need to do a lot of research on, um, you know, what life was like back then. And and then like plot wise, because not much is known about Diamond Bessie leading up to the um, the main, main event of the story. Uh, and so I really had to, um, you know, you know, really the first part of my book is is more much more fictional than fact. I mean, all the details about like 19th century life are right, you know, spot on. But as far as the plot of what happened to her, um, I really, and I had to, because of her situation, she was a prostitute. How did a woman, what led a woman to become a prostitute back then? And so I really had to dive into, um, you know, what was a plausible situation uh, for her that, you know, that readers would go, oh, well, this is something that, you know, it could have happened instead of it being right. too far-fetched or not well thought out. So how was it for you to get to know her as a character and like really be able to find her sort of voice in your novel when there wouldn't have been a lot of information about her early life? Well, you know, so, so much of historical fiction based on real people is quite honestly, uh, what I've found is based on somebody who there's quite a bit of records about. So when right. you have someone who was marginalized like Bessie, she was a prostitute. Um, so, um, well, luckily, I found three memoirs of 19th century prostitutes that were absolutely fascinating. And that really informed a lot of it. But then, of course, I had to get into Bessie's head and, be, you know, because of the particular events that happened to her. And I have to say, it was really tough to there were some decisions that she made, some choices she made besides becoming a prostitute that I really had to think hard and go through different scenarios of and just writing and, you know, going through draft after draft of, you know, really getting into her shoes of why she made some of the decisions she made. So that was really that was really tough. It, 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 was, it was very challenging. So hopefully I pulled it off. So how long did it take you once you felt like you were done researching and you were ready to start writing? And I realized that research is sort of a fluid thing that occurs, you know, throughout the writing process. But 
once you had kind of the bulk of what you needed, how long did it take you from the time you started drafting to the time you felt like this was a, a finished book? Well, mine, I know every author is different as far as the, um, you know, how their story evolves. But with me, it's pretty convoluted because, you know, I started in the 90s. And then part of the reason why I set my book aside then is because I didn't have the right point of view. And that's one thing I've found out is that it having the right point of view is crucial. I mean, it's like everything for your book. And I was trying to write it from another person's point of view or oh. from that. And well, and then I was thinking, how could I use like have Bessie in there and this other character? And I and I was really struggling. I was floundering and um, I got really frustrated. And then, um, you know, life things happen and I needed to set aside um, my writing for a long time. When I came back to it, I thought that I might do nonfiction because I had struggled so much trying to get this novel out. And I actually hooked up with a freelance editor. I went to the Dallas-Fort Worth Writers Conference in 2014 and um, met the editor of this magazine called Carve Magazine, named after Raymond Carver, the short story writer. And he also offered editing services. And he hooked me up with a woman named Bridget Boland. And I was kind of like, oh, I don't know if I really want to do this. And so we, Bridget and I talked, and I was, you know, at that point I was going to do nonfiction. And we worked together a few months and, and she was honest with me. She said, you know, this, this, and I was thinking too, that it needed to be a novel. We both agreed that this needs to be a novel. And she challenged me to write it from a particular point of view. I don't want to give away <laughs> the plot twist. So no, that's uh, she, fair. Yeah. So she challenged me to write it from this point of view. And I froze and I thought, oh, I don't know if I can do that. And she said, just try. And then I wrote the first draft, the first chapter in two days. And I sent it to her and she got back to me and she said, oh, my God, you have found your voice. And once I had that, then I got the first draft out in seven months. But then, of course, that was a first draft and a very right. ugly first draft. <laughs> so <laughs> then I needed to add some more elements to it. And again, I don't want to give away the plot, so I don't want to go too much. So then I had to do a lot. I needed to do more research. So I was doing, so I got a draft out, but then I needed to, you know, add these other elements. I needed to do more research, more writing. And really, the story kept evolving. And it just really just over and over again until it got to where it is now. And I'm really, it's actually evolved in ways that I couldn't have imagined and so I'm just, I'm thrilled with it. I know it's not going to be everybody's cup of tea because not everybody likes paranormal elements. Um, but um, I just would like, you know, readers to know that the way the book is, is the way that it needed to be written. It's the way that the story needed to be told. And as in, now that I'm becoming an author, I know that when I read somebody else's book and, and um I realized that how many drafts they went to went through to get to a publishable, you know, novel and that the decisions that have to be made, you kind of have to really just trust the author that the story you're reading is the way that it needed to be told. And I think for every author, you know, that's different. Um, you know, different people have different sources of inspiration and, even if two people wrote a very similar novel in terms of like subject, 
you know, the writing would be very, very different and the things that they chose to emphasize would be very, very different. Oh, yes. And this story could be told a hundred different ways. Um, partly because with Bessie, since not much is known about um, growing up before she became a prostitute, then yeah, it could be told any number of ways and somebody else could. And of course, the writing styles are going to be different. Um, so yeah, it, it would be, it's just that for me, this is the way it needed to be. But, um, and I know there have been books about different subjects where there's more than one novel. I haven't read them, but I know the, um, I'm thinking of the, the Christie affair. And oh, the yes. And Mrs. Christie. Yeah, I haven't read those just because I've been so immersed in, you know, um, what I'm, you know, leading up to my book coming out. I just, it's been crazy. And, but I know I want to read those, but that's the same story. You have a very famous person, Agatha Christie, but told from two totally different kinds of stories. Yes. Yes. I actually, um, I'm on hold for the Christie affair through my public library. Um, the hold list is super long. So <laughs> it'll be a while, but <laughs> I am excited to read that. Yeah. One. Yeah. I, yeah. I want to read those. Those, those, that's all my very large to be read pile. <laughs> Ah, yes. It is very important to have, you know, more books than you will ever read. Yes, and that, and <laughs> that is true. <laughs> so speaking of reading, what kind of things do you enjoy reading, like aside from when you're researching? I'm a very eclectic reader. I will read anything that holds my attention. Um, I'm very much like go like to go into the bookstore or library and just browse around and pick up a book and just, you know, just whatever sounds interesting. So I, I obviously love historical fiction and I read a lot of it, but I've read all just all, all different genres, not so much science fiction and fantasy, though. I would like to read that. It's just that I have, there's so many books to be read. <laughs> oh, that, yes. Um, you know, that's all my list to get to. But uh, I really, really just anything that holds my holds my interest. And I like nonfiction, too. I read both fiction and nonfiction. Right now I'm reading The Taking of Jemima Boone by Matthew Pearl, which part of the reason why I'm, I'm reading it is because my family is related. Um, Daniel Boone and one of my ancestors were uh, contemporaries. And oh. when Jemima Boone was kidnapped, she was kidnapped. My mother's maiden name is Callaway. When Jemima Boone, Boone was kidnapped, it was with two Callaway girls. And oh. I'm, yeah, and they're my ancestors. So uh, I'm reading that, but you know, it's just slow going just because I'm so busy with uh, launching my book. Yes. So have you read anything recently that you think the world should know about? Well, I am, have been reading um, a lot with, uh, with my fellow authors with Spark Press and she writes uh, press is the uh, sister imprint. There's a group of us that we've been talking by Zoom every other week, about 14 of us. So we've been reading each other's um, books. Um, so that's that's been a lot of my reading lately. And there's one um, that I just absolutely loved, and it's Waterbury Winter by Linda Stewart Henley, Linda Henley. And uh, she, her first novel was historical about, called Estelle by, about Edgar Degas, which I love. My favorite period of, of art is, uh, Impressionism. So I love Edgar Degas' works. He did, you know, a lot of the dancers. He's known for that. 
So she wrote, uh, it was her first novel. And then she did something completely different where this, a contemporary novel, are you familiar with Frederick Bachman's um, A Man Called Ova? Yes. Oh God, I love that. That was one of my favorite books. Absolutely love that book. This is reminiscent of A Man Called Ova. Ah. Yeah, Barnaby Brown, Down and Out. It's in Waterbury, Connecticut, this tiny town. Um, and I absolutely, I've been singing um, this book's praises because it really is, um, I, I just loved it. So it's Waterbury Winter by Linda Henley. Is it out now or did you have an early It copy? comes out in May 3rd. Oh, okay. Early May. Yeah, yeah. So I have, well, see, because this group that I'm in, we all, we're in the spring, uh, yes. 2022. So yeah. So our books are coming out between April and July. Um, I don't know if, no, if most people know that there are, you know, seasons to in, in the publishing industry and um, the spring season is from uh, basically now to through July. So uh, hers comes out, I believe, May 3rd. I love early copies of books. I love kind of that, like reading something and helping to build some of that buzz like that leads up to it. Yes. Um, it is one of the best things, I think, about being connected to the book world in in some way oh yeah yeah definitely and I you know as an author appreciate it because um had a lot of early readers through um through getting advanced reader copies getting arcs in various yes. places and yeah so I've got um I have almost 200 reviews on Goodreads and my book doesn't come out till next week so I'm really happy about that and um you know that's one of the most important things for an author is word of mouth. So, you know, if somebody enjoys a book, and I mean, that's how I learned about a lot of books too. With my oh, sure. Parents. Yeah, yeah. I think it's that way for everybody. Yeah, I mean, there's so many books out there. Yes. And it's, you know, it's not always easy to kind of get connected with like the perfect book for you, but often, you know, people will be talking about something, whether I'm listening to, you know, another podcast or whether it's a member of my team who reads something and says, oh, you know, I really think like you'd love this. I'm like, OK. And I found so many books. That I really love, like in just that way, like having somebody say, you know, I read this and I really loved it for you know whatever reason. Mm -hmm. Oh, yeah. One of the ones that I can think of that I absolutely love that was a friend told me about is. The Immortal Life of Henrietta Lacks. By oh, Rebecca yes. Blue. Oh, my God. What a, a fantastic book. That's one of that was one of my favorite nonfiction books of the of the decade. And that, you know, that was from a friend. I could make, name a bunch of them. I don't want to bore you. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> no, book recommendations are, are never boring. Oh, that's true. That's true. <laughs> I forgot who I'm talking to and where I am. In, <laughs> indeed. Indeed. No, this is you know, this is what we do. Um you know, one of the reasons that I started the podcast is just that I really love, you know, connecting people in books and helping people find the books that speak to them, you know, in the way that they need to be spoken to in whatever, you know, point of their lives they happen to be in. Well, that's wonderful that you're doing this because it is, it's like, how do you break through the noise? There's so many books out there, so many books published every week. And so for you to do this is just wonderful. I really appreciate it. 
So now that the lives of Diamond Bessie is almost in the world, um, what can readers expect next from you? Do you know? Well, yes, uh, in, and uh, I actually think this is quite common with historical fiction authors, is I found my second book while researching Diamond Bessie. Oh. Um, yes, unfortunately, it is, uh, I say you'll understand why I say unfortunately in a moment, uh, it'll be partly set in Russia. Which, oh. with what's, yeah, which it, it, it's historical. It'll be, it, it'll be in the 1800s, but I have known about this story for a while and it'll be set between 1858 and probably 1880s. Um, and I was planning to go to Russia next year. Oh, maybe um, don't do that. <laughs> yeah, I know. It's just horrible what's going on over there. Um, it's heartbreaking and it's so unnecessary. Um, and yeah, I, I, I don't know what the situation is going to be like in a year. So I may have to do everything remotely. Of course, I don't speak Russian or, or um, and I know the in the 1800s, the language of the Russian court was French. So I don't speak ah. French. So I would need to hire a translator anyway to help me, you know, with with translating some some documents that I could get a hold of. That is if I could even get my hands, you know, on right. these documents and I mainly wanted to go to Russia just so I could see. It helps me. I'm a very visual person. I like to stand in the place where that person stood and what they saw and felt, et cetera. Um, so we'll see. But, you know, it would take me a long time to research and write it. So it's not like I was going to be done next year. No, uh-huh. it would be, yeah, it'd be, it'd be a while. And, and I have, Another idea for a novel that actually w- would also be <laughs> in the 1800s and uh, but would be just based in, just set in the U.S. Ah, no traveling to Russia necessary. Yes. And I've yeah, always wanted I, to see St. Petersburg, but, you know, so who, who knows what's going to what's going to happen. When I was in high school, we had to watch this documentary about Russia in. Gosh, I don't know like the 18th century, I think. And the only thing I really remember about it is that people had foxes for pets. (laughs) And I always thought like, oh, wouldn't it be great to have a fox? You could just like walk around with a fox on a leash. Yeah. Um, Well, this is kind of scary because I always wanted a lion. So I told you um, before we started recording that I'm mm-hmm. blind, and so I've had guide dogs for a while until I became very allergic to dogs and had to retire my my working guide. And I used to say that it would be really excellent if I could have, like, a giant cat, a lion, a leopard. I could have, like, a guide lion. Yes. Um, and, you know, no one would, like, approach me in public because, well, a lion. Yes. Um, it, it would be the best. But somehow – the world at large, I don't think, is is ready for me to walk around with with a harnessed lion. Yeah, and it's really weird because when I was a kid, I mean, I was obsessed. I wanted a pet lion. <laughs> it's just really bizarre. <laughs> but, um, There's a documentary about uh, domesticated cats, and it's called "The Lion in My Living Room." Oh, and it's all about how like domestic cats are basically just like tiny predator did you ever see the the tiger king i want to um i have not watched it yet 
I'm a little troubled by like that guy having just so many like big Yeah, it's just the thing is that once you start watching it, it's like you can't it's just it is so incredibly bizarre that it's like it's that stranger than fiction kind of thing. Um it's just you just are hooked, you just mesmerize and you know, just it's the craziest It's actually a book um called Tiger King as well. Oh. And I don't know if it came first or the, the series came first, but it's about, you know, that whole like situation. Yeah, I'll have to look into that because I hadn't I hadn't heard of that. So now I'm wondering too if it came out before or after. I I don't know. I didn't look at the at the copyright date. I just mm-hmm. saw it um in my library's catalog and I was like, oh, it's it's like the Netflix series. And when I looked at the at the blurb, of course it was you know, exactly yeah. that situation. Well, yeah, I well, want was... to thank mm-hmm. oh. oh, go ahead. I want to thank you so much for taking time out of your schedule so close to your release date to chat with me and to let listeners know a little bit about who you are and and your work. Um, before I let you dash off, can you let listeners know the best place to find you online? Oh, well, thank you for asking. And I really enjoyed being here. It's been real, a lot of fun talking to you. Thank you so much. I am, um, I'm on uh, Instagram, just my name, Jody Hadlock. Um, it, my mother gave me the boy spelling. So it's J-O-D-Y Hadlock. Um, I've, I've joked about that my entire life because usually it's with an I, but mine's a Y. Uh, and, uh, also on the F- Facebook author page, just it's Jody Hadlock author. And I have a website at my name, jodyhadlock.com. Perfect. Again, this has been a discussion of The Lives of Diamond Bessie by Jody Hadlock, and it will be available in the U.S. on April 5th. Thank you so much. Okay, so let's talk about new books. I have quite a few here for you today. As always, we are starting with books that you've heard us mention before um, on our most anticipated releases of April episode. I'm starting with a book that Natalia mentioned. This is Always You. It is A Dare Family, book three by Samantha Young. This is a contemporary romance. Brooke has a couple of thrillers that she's excited about. I'll Be You by Janelle Brown and One of Us is Dead by Geneva Rose. Now I want to move on to some stuff that you haven't heard us mention before. I'm going to continue with some thrillers here. Um, There is The Wrong Victim. This is Quinn and Costa, book three by... Alison Brennan, and this is a procedural series, it looks like, um, with a police detective and an FBI agent. I'm not sure if it has romantic elements. Um, A lot of Brennan's stuff does have a romance angle. Um, I have enjoyed her stuff in the past, her Kincaid family series. Um, I've read a couple of her other trilogies as well. I have not read this one yet, but I definitely plan to. So this is The Wrong Victim, Quinn and Costa, book three, 
by Alison Brennan. We also have Blood Will Tell. This is the second novel by Heather Chavez. She wrote No Bad Deed, I think in 2020. And so this one is about two sisters and their bond. And it's also about the lengths that one sister will go to in order to protect and cover up the crimes of the other. This is one that I am on hold for at the public library. I am very, very excited about this. Again, it is Blood Will Tell by Heather Chavez. We also have The Last Party by Cassidy Lucas. A couple of years ago, this writing team wrote a book called Santa Monica. Santa Monica, I have not read it yet, although I want to. Um, this one is about a 50th birthday celebration that goes terribly wrong when some uninvited guests show up. It's The Last Party, and it's by Cassidy Lucas. We also have The Housemaid by Frieda McFadden. I believe McFadden is a British author. Um, Georgina read one of her books not too long ago, and I think Christine has also read a couple. Um, these are psychological thrillers. I get the impression that they're pretty short, like quick reads. Um, I have not read any of them myself, but I definitely plan to in the future. This one is The Housemaid, and it's by Frieda McFadden. Now we're going to move on to some historicals, quite a few historicals today. Um, first up is The Mad Girls of New York. This is Nellie Bly, book one by Maya Rodale. I read an early copy of this, and I also talked about it um, on an episode that we did on books based on true events. So perhaps this one should have been in the books you've heard us mention before category. Um, it is a fictionalized account of Nellie Bly's time in the madhouse. So I really loved this. Um, it was really well done historical fiction. Maya Rodale is so, so talented. This is The Mad Girls of New York, Nellie Bly, book one by Maya Rodale. We also have In the Face of the Sun. This is by Denny S. Bryce. I really liked her debut um, a couple of years ago, and I've talked about it at least one, once, possibly twice on the podcast. This one, though, is a, it looks like it's going to be another dual timeline, which always makes me happy. Um, and it centers around a mystery of black Hollywood. And so we're digging deep into like the 1920s and the role of black people in Hollywood. And then we also have this civil rights era road trip that's happening between a pregnant young woman and her aunt. And they are the ones who are kind of trying to lay this mystery to rest. This is In the Face of the Sun, and it's by Denny S. Bryce. Adriana Trigiani has a new book out this week. This is The Good Left Undone. It is part contemporary, part historical. Um, I'm not sure if it's like a dual timeline. I kind of doubt it. I think it just goes all the way up through, like starts, you know, in the in the past and moves up to the present. Um, it is a family story featuring a 
rather excellent old house and lots of time in Italy. Um, I have loved a few of Adriana Trigiani's past novels, so this one is one that I am definitely looking forward to. It's The Good Left Undone, and it's by Adriana Trigiani. Next up, we have another flu book. I have not read a good flu book uh, since 2020, so I'm very excited for this. This is Little Souls by Sandra Dallas. And this time it looks at the flu um, of 1918 in England. I don't think I've ever read a book that deals with it in, in the UK in quite this way. I've seen it in Ireland. I've seen it in America. Um, so this one focuses on the UK, England. I'm super excited for it. It is Little Souls by Sandra Dallas. We also have a book that I know Stacy is pretty excited about. This is The School for German Brides by Amy K. Runyon. Runyon has done, over the years, um, a few different books that focus on either World War I or II. She's also written a bit about that time in between the two world wars. Um, so, you know, the, the 1920s and 30s. Um, she writes strong heroines, which is always appreciated here on Book Bistro. Um, her historical detail is amazing. So if you love historical fiction, especially that which deals with the world wars, you will probably want to check this out. It is The School for German Brides, and it's by Amy K. Runyon. I've got a couple of contemporary romances for you today. First up is The Long Game, Game Changers Book 6. This is by Rachel Reed. And this is a series that I have not read, although I did very recently put the first book on hold at my public library. Um, this focuses on a hockey team. And whereas I don't generally like sports and I tend to shy away from sports romance, there are certain authors I've just heard really good things about and a few authors that I personally love who write these kinds of romances in a way that I like, totally fall in love with them in spite of my dislike of, of sports as a whole. Um, this series looks like it is MM romance, and so I'm excited to give it a try. If you are more current than I am, you may have already read these. Um, and so you'll be happy that the sixth book is out. This one is The Long Game. It is Game Changers Book 6 by Rachel Reed. We also have Love, Hate, and Clickbait by Liz Bowery. This is a standalone contemporary, once again, MM. And it is a little bit fake relationship, a little bit sort of like celebrity trying to clean up their image. Um maybe kind of like Boyfriend Material by Alexis Hall, although I'm not positive about that. That's just sort of the vibe I got from looking at the synopsis. But this is another one that I am on hold for at the public library. It is Love, Hate, and Clickbait by Liz Bowery. And I have two horror novels to talk about this week. I don't usually talk about horror, but um, I have a couple that I'm pretty excited about. We have The Fervor by Elma Katsu. 
um, she wrote The Hunger and the Deep. And basically, she looks at tragedies and puts a supernatural spin on them. So she dealt with like the Donner Party, the sinking of the Titanic. And here in the fervor, she deals with the Japanese internment camps during World War II. So this is one that I definitely plan to read very, very soon. Um, I'll be interested to see sort of how the supernatural kind of plays into this. It's The Fervor by Elmakatsu. We also have The Children on the Hill. This is by Jennifer McMahon. Um, I've read a couple of Jennifer McMahon books. I know that Stacy has as well, and she's very, very creepy. This one is set in Appalachia, and I think it has a bit of a dual timeline um, component to it, as some of her books do. Not all of them, but some of them. She definitely knows how to like go back and forth in time and really amp up that tension when you know that something like extra creepy is about to happen, but you don't know quite when. So this one is The Children on the Hill, and it's by Jennifer McMahon. Moving on to a bit of urban fantasy. Um, if you love Cat and Bones by Janine Frost, then you will be a very happy person today. This is The Other Half of the Grave. It's Night Huntress, book eight by Janine Frost. This is basically the meeting of Cat and Bones from the very first book in the series, but told from Bones' perspective. So all through the series, we've seen things from Cat's point of view, and we get to know Bones pretty well, but mainly through Cat's lens. So now we are actually moving to his perspective and seeing, you know, all of his thoughts about Cat and kind of their early days together. So this is The Other Half of the Grave. It's Night Huntress, book eight, by Janine Frost. And I have two young adult books to end this particular episode. Um, we have Someday We'll Find It. This is by Jennifer Wilson. It is about a teenage girl who is just kind of, you know, living her day-to-day -day life. And then her mother returns. And I guess they have been separated for quite a long time. So now she's having to deal with all the like mixed emotions of having her mother back in her life. And there's a possibility of new love on the horizon. This is Someday We'll Find It, and it's by Jennifer Wilson. We also have a young adult thriller. This is Dig Two Graves by Gretchen McNeil. McNeil wrote the Murder Trending series, which is kind of a, like a sci-fi thriller um, that I have not read. I think it's a trilogy, and it looks very, very cool. I just have not picked it up yet. But this one is a thriller. It is our heroine has been betrayed by her best friend. She heads off to this female empowerment camp for the summer, and it's possible that she will agree to kill someone. This is one I plan to read as soon as I can get a copy. It is Dig Two Graves by Gretchen McNeil. And that is all I have for you today. This is also the last Bookity Tuesday of April. We'll be moving into May very, very soon with all of the great releases that May brings. 
I hope all of you are doing well. If you are living in the Midwest portion of the United States, you might be enjoying um, the first few nice days that we are experiencing. Um, whatever your weather, I hope you are staying safe and well, and of course, well read. If you would like to leave us a rating or a review, you can do that on Apple Podcasts or any other platform that you use to access the show. Not only does it tell us what you think, but it also helps other people find us when they're looking for book-related podcasts. Um, it kind of advances us in the Google algorithm. So I will be back next Tuesday morning with an author interview and, of course, the guide to new releases. And some number of us will be back on Friday with more bookish greatness. Take care, everybody. Mm-hmm.